Father, we thank you for this time together. We just ask you to bless this word in our ears as we open your word in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. I want to read 21 and verse 24. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. Remember, Jesus is saying all this right after Peter says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then Jesus says, Flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. And then right after that, after that rhema from God from heaven, Jesus brings in the cross. Bad news. (laughs) Oh, this is rough news. I mean, oh, you are the Christ. We finally get it. Oh, now you're going to die. To be killed. And then verse 21, the last part, On the third day be raised. It's amazing how people forget what God says, isn't it? And when Jesus was crucified, placed in the tomb, everyone forgot that he was going to be raised from the dead except for a woman. By the way, isn't it interesting? I'm getting into future messages, but isn't it interesting that God would have a woman be the first witness of the resurrection? Isn't it amazing? Women in those days were, were treated in such a way that they could not even be a witness in a court case they could not even be present in a court case they could not be any they were not treated in any way that they would be recognized as a reliable source of information yet jesus god talk about how god respects women god has a woman see jesus first out of all of mankind isn't it amazing that's amazing and verse 24 and then jesus told his disciples 16 matthew 16 verse 24 jesus told his disciples If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. This series I want to do, I want to do a little bit different than the traditional approach to Easter. I want to look at it maybe not from a historical perspective, but I want to look at it more from a perspective, a philosophical, that's a big word, please don't be afraid of that word, more of a meaning, uh, a spiritual meaning. What does this cross mean for me? And how does this change my Monday? Let's look at another verse in math in Luke verse twenty three, the chapter twenty three, verse twenty six. Luke twenty three, verse twenty six. And as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country. He was with his two boys. The book of Mark tells us that he was with his two boys, Mark, uh, Alexander and Rufus, was his name, their names. They were probably 12 years old and older because they were old enough to travel with dad. And so they laid, him, they laid on him the cross. Now, what they lay on him is not the entire cross because the Roman cross weighs about 300 pounds. Anyone here that can lift 300 pounds? Chris Johnson. <laughs> Chris Johnson can do it. I know it. And then um, Austin just raised his hand. It was the cross beam. It was the cross beam, which was about 100 pounds. And they strapped that to the back of Simon of Cyrene because Jesus was whipped and tortured so badly that he could not even lift it. He didn't even have the strength. And his way to the cross was about, I would say, if I figured it correctly, about a half a mile of a walk with this 100 pound or whatever it was on his back. And he couldn't do it. And so the Romans seized this. And this is a whole message in itself right here. Who was Simon of Cyrene? Has everyone studied who that is? I know, I, know, I know Jeff has. Anybody's? Oh, man, this, is, this guy is an amazing guy, and his story is amazing, and Cyrene is amazing. 
Cyrene, I want to just tell you, Cyrene, so who is this guy? He's the, he's the first guy in human history that gets a chance to bear the cross of Jesus Christ. Right. Think about who this guy is, okay? He's probably got Jesus' blood on him because of the proximity of Jesus. And secondly, he probably was able to touch the battered, beaten body of Jesus Christ. Simon of Cyrene. Cyrene is in North Africa. It's in a place that's right near a city called Shahat or Sahat in Libya. It's North Africa. It's a North African city. There was about 100,000 Jews that lived in that area that, were, that were, um, had been displaced from Jerusalem. Maybe they, had not even, they, maybe they weren't even able to speak uh, Hebrew. They were maybe Greek-speaking Jews. And so he shows up. North African shows up. And this is God's man that he gets to bear the cross. And he bears this cross up. Later on, we see about... I like history. I love history. I don't know about you guys, but I love to go beyond the traditional... Okay, that's a great um, saying, religious slogan. I want to go back. I want to go into the meat. Who are these people? Where are they from? And what did they do? Cyrene here... Simon from Cyrene, later on, after the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ, we hear about a group of, of men and a group of people from Cyrene and from northern Libya in Antioch, right. which is north of Jerusalem quite a ways. And Antioch is, for those who know the book of Acts, is where the first church was planted that was not Jewish. It was Gentile. Get this, who were the first missionaries in the book of Acts? We never hear about this, but this is incredible. North Africans are preaching in Antioch, and there's a church that starts. There's a, there's a, there's a group of people that begin to form, and in chapter 11 and chapter 13, a church starts, and there's a Bible school that starts right in that church, and one of the teachers is from North Africa. Awesome, isn't it? That's incredible. If you're from Africa, our African pastors need to hear this. They were the first missionaries, and they began to preach. They began to church plant, and God began to use them in a mighty way. Isn't this amazing about Easter when we read the historical perspective, and he begins to carry this cross of 100 pounds, and he begins to follow after Jesus about a half a mile. There's five things I want to say this morning about the cross. Number one, the cross is the most powerful device in history. It's most. I think when we look at a cross, we see when somebody wears a nice um, cross jewelry it's very commendable beautiful but if we were to see the cross today if we were to see really what it was it was something incredibly ugly and unbelievably um, cruel just a couple things I want to say about the cross power the, the, where the cross the cross was where the innocent died for the guilty think about his innocence and your guilt and my guilt in 1 Peter 3.18, Jesus, who was innocent, died for you, who was guilty. Have you ever been guilty? Have you ever been guilty about something? Have you ever been caught red-handed? Have you ever, been, have you ever sensed the sense, have you ever felt the sense of impending judgment? And then someone stands forward and says, oh, by the way, I'm going to bear your guilt. Second thing, it demands, the cross has satisfied the demands and the sentencing. I don't know if you've ever been sentenced, but the demands and the sentencing of the law of Moses has been fulfilled and taken care of. That's Colossians chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. That the, that the debts and the sentencing that were against you and I, and by the way, maybe you think today, well, I've never done anything bad enough to go to hell. It does not matter because when we were born, we were born sinners in Psalm 51, speaking lies, and we were guilty 
coming out of our mother's womb. We were sinners on our way to hell. And number three, that though we are growing through a process, there's no condemnation on God's part on the believer because of the cross in, in Romans chapter 7, 17, and Romans chapter 8, verse 1. That there's no condemnation. Today, when you got out of bed, I don't know if you felt guilty or not. There's no condemnation. God's looking at you, and he's not thinking about your sins of yesterday. He's not thinking about it. Sometimes we think, well, you know what? God's really aware of what I did this morning or yesterday or last year or 20 years ago that I blew it. God's not living in that world. God is living in the world of resurrection. He's living in the world of free from sin. And he is living, he is living in a place where there is no discussion about sin. And if that topic was to ever come up in heaven, guess what all the cherubim are looking at? They're looking at the blood on the altar. Whenever you think about your past and you get, we get discouraged and we get condemned, think about the most powerful device in history. Look at the cross where the innocent died for the guilty. So what does it mean that we are called to carry our cross? When Jesus said in Matthew 16 and verse 24, he said, if you will follow me, you must carry your cross. What does that mean? Sometimes people take the cross and they say, well, my cross is that I've got this health issue. That's my cross. Or my cross is my marriage or my cross is my financial situation, which I can never seem to get out of. Or my cross is, um, uh, my cross is, I live in a very difficult political situation, or I don't have, or I don't have the rights that I would like to have. The cross is not that. The cross is an amazing, incredible truth that expresses itself socially with a recognized symbol. What do we mean by that? It means something that is not something that I pick up and that I'm carrying, but it's something that is laid on us. And I'll talk about why that is in a minute. Um, the, the cross, I mean, it's, it's not something beautiful that is socially acceptable. It's, bad, it's badly shaped. It's, it's a demoralizing object. And I think it's Deuteronomy, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it's 22. It says that cursed is he that hangs on a tree. Jesus here is hanging on a tree on a cross and every Jew understood that. And when they saw this man hanging on a cross, not on a Jewish cross, on a Roman cross that wasn't even theirs, they saw a man, man, that guy is cursed. That guy is cursed. You know, if I, t- if I carry a cross in my life as a Christian, isn't it going to slow me down or change my pace as a Christian? We get this, we get this idea that as a Christian, we've got to always be cruising. I've got to be running. I've got to be flying. I've got to be doing great. I'm going to be like, hey, praise the Lord, brother. God is good all the time. And that's true. But sometimes I'm not feeling that. Sometimes I'm feeling like right now I'm in the dust like David felt. Sometimes I'm feeling like I'm, I'm defeated. Sometimes I'm feeling not great. And the cross itself is not something that sometimes we look at ourselves. And we say, you know what? I wish I could run as fast as that other Christian. I, want, I wish I could be as successful and so awesome like these other people that are flying all over the world that are doing these incredible missional things. But I've got this thing in my life. Um, if I take up my cross, and these are some of the fears that we have when we think about taking up our cross. Am I, if I take up my cross, is this going to make me unpopular or am I going to have a persecution complex? Is it going to make me too serious or too nervous or too emotional to fit into the normal everyday kind of life. The cross in itself does not do any of that, but it sets us free. And I want to mention that. I want to talk about that in a minute. So the cross, number one, is the most powerful thing in the universe. It is more than just a symbol, 
but is something that takes the innocent and makes them pure. It takes the, the unjust, it takes the just and dies for the unjust. It is where our life is exchanged with God. The cross is also in, in very independent. Now, stay with me here, because this is some, some real fresh thoughts that I'd like us to think about together. The cross is independent. And though it's the most powerful device in human history, it cannot be controlled and it cannot be handle gripped. Think about that for a minute. The cross is not something that you can say, oh, let me just grab this. You know, like when we think about cars or, or, or doors, like, you know, we open a closed door that we can't get through there. We turn the knob and it opens up. Uh, a car, we get in the car and we, we grip the, the, the steering wheel and we can control a very powerful machine. Maybe we're... Maybe the room is dark and we can flip on a switch and we can change the circumstances by just flipping on a switch by something that we can grab a hold of. Um, technology. Technology offers us the sense of power and control over things that we can't foresee. How many of you use GPS to get here this morning? I use GPS all the time to get here because I, I don't know what's going to happen on 99 or 45 or whatever. We use technology to get a better grip on life. But the cross is not something that you and I can just grab a hold of. It doesn't have comfortable handles that we can grab a hold of and just kind of manipulate and move around. The cross is independent. Are you following me? Handle grips on things are things that we use to help control or bring in efficiency of control. Okay? How many, are, how many of you are following me this morning? You there? Okay. I had my purified coffee this morning. I'm good. <laughs> Focusing well. The cross has no handles. Think about that. The cross has no handles. What does that mean to us today? The cross has no handles. Well, the favors of the cross cannot be earned. If I could earn favors of the cross, if I could earn the grace of God, then the gospel would have handles. It'd be something that I could grab a hold of and move around. It cannot be, it, it, the power or the wisdom of the cross cannot be gifted by someone who has mastered it. Think about that for a second. Have you ever tried to explain the power and the wisdom of the cross to someone that, has not, that is not experiencing it in their life? All you can do is display it. Okay, It's not something that I can explain. It's not something that we can sit down and say, hey, look, X plus Y equals Z. Terrible at algebra. I don't even know if that's correct. <laughs> but it's not a formula we can grab a hold of and that we can... The gospel has no handles. The, go- the cross has no handles. When that cross comes on you and I, it is the, the format of it is just so unnatural. Yeah. It just it is so like it is so painful in every way, and it's not something that can be controlled or gripped. The cross does not have a handle. It is uncontrollable. The cross is uncontrollable. Think about that with me. The cross is uncontrollable. What did the law of Moses represent to? It represented control, didn't it? What do we see in mainstream Christianity today? We see a lot of control going on. We see a lot of we see a lot of self-help messages that are encouraging you to achieve your your great potential, which is the gospel of Gnosticism. You got to achieve the best of who you are. You can do better. You can overcome. Just try harder. Uh, it's all about your self-image. That's not gospel. That is a gospel with with handles. Number three. Third thing I want to say about the cross is that it's a theology. The way of the cross is a theology without handles. Okay, what do I mean by that? Well, remember when 
Solomon was about to build this temple or built this home or this temple for the Lord. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 6, verse 18, he gets to a point where he looks at this place and he realizes how human and how frail and how limited this incredible temple that he had built for the Lord. And he says this, he said, Behold, and it just dawns on him, his theology or his thinking about who God is begins to change or begins, there's a revelation to Solomon and he says, Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. Think about that. Heaven and the highest, what is heaven and the highest heaven? I think the highest heaven is that part of the universe that we don't even know about or even beyond that. The highest heaven cannot contain you. Our theology or our faith system or the way we believe about God or the gospel that we preach to people or what we say to people about who God is or what you and I say to our neighbor, God bless you, or whatever that might be, is something that could never contain God. Why am I saying this? Because what we try to do in our flesh is we try to take God and we try to package him to fit contextually into our culture. For example... If I'm overly political, then I'm going to take God and make him a certain kind of God from a certain kind of party. Okay, That is a packaging of God. That is a theology where God is not going to... God's going to be in that for a millisecond before he blows out of that box. God cannot be contained in any kind of philosophy or theology. Whenever we package God, and and this is why great movements of God have, have... have crystallized and come to a halt it's because people have they see the great move of God and then they be, they what happens is that they come to a place where they say okay these are these this is these are the limits of God's so what God will do and will not do and then what happens at that moment our theology when we we try to put a handle on the power of God it is no longer powerful but it is an ideology ideology these are big words I'm sorry to make you think this morning. Ideology. What's an ideology? It's just ideas that have no power. It's just Islam is an ideology. Different religions in the world are an ideology. It's a set of rules. God does not want the theology or the message or the gospel of the cross to become something that is just philosophy in our lives, but it's something that is powerful that cannot contain God. I love it because God never works the same way twice, does he? Like when we think about the trouble that we are in today, maybe, or the needs that we have today, we think about, well, last time God did it this way. Look at the book of Acts, the way the church is planted. God is not doing the same thing. He's not doing the same thing the same way every time. Every time it's different. Look at the gift of tongues. It's always in a different way. It's happening in an amazingly different way. And so God will not be put in a box. Why? Because simply put, when you and I, and look, if there's only one thing that you're getting from this message right now, get this, okay? Simply put, when we get our arms around it and we figure it all out, it's no longer powerful and wonderful. That's right. It's no longer awesome. I am no longer a worshiper. I am now a worker because I've got it all worked out. Yeah. In many communist countries, um, some still do this, when you work for the party, when you work for the ruling class, you get a book a red or a black book, and it has all the rules of the party in it. And you've got to memorize that, and you've got to have that down, and that's the, way it, that's the way everything is run. 
It's an ideology. But can it change a person's life? No, it cannot. When we figure it all out, when we say, God, when we pray, and I was thinking about this this week, Lord, um, when we pray and we're praying for a resolution, God, I'm praying for something. Lord, I'm praying for my need to be met. Lord, I'm praying for this situation to be resolved. Lord, I'm praying that you would give me peace instead of fear. When we pray like that, sometimes that we we in a, that kind of prayer life we lose we we leave the position of a worshiper and someone that is in a place of awe, and we step into something that's predictable and something that we can see. God God wants us to be a worshiper. You know, when Jesus rose from the dead, when he went to the cross and he rose from the dead, it was something that no one was. Jesus even said it. No one was, re- was ready for it. No one was expecting it. And he rose from the dead. And that makes us worshipers, not workers. Um, here's the fourth thing I want to say about the cross, the theology of the cross, is that the cross doesn't have handles, right? And our theology does not have handles. So therefore, we should not handle people. We don't, we don't put handles on people. What do I mean by that? Well, Putting handles on people, one way to say that could be self-righteousness. Remember in Luke chapter 18, verses 11 and 12, when the, the Pharisee is praying in the temple and he sees this, looks like, guy looks like a loser. He looks like just somebody who is just, he's just not, he's just, it, it's obvious that this is not, life is not going great for this guy. And he's standing far away from the temple and he's beating his chest. And the, the, the Pharisee sees this man. And he says, God, I thank you. And I'm going to read you the words. I thank you. Okay, so he begins, he worships God about himself. And he says, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, womanizers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give tithes of all that I have. He says this, he says this in a way, and this reminds me of a handled kind of mind. When we look at people and we package people, we put handles on them. Have you ever been stereotyped? Have you ever been put in a box because of your ethnicity, because of your social status, because of the career that you have, or the car you drive, or what somebody says to you? This is when, this is when people try to, or the system tries to put handles on us, because we're not controllable. Think about Daniel and his, his brothers in Persia. When they go to Persia, guess what happens to the, the Persian king tries to rename them tries to give them Babylonian names, or Persian, I'm sorry, Persian names. The world system wants to put a system, uh, puts a handle on you, and I call you and I by a different name. Change this diet, change, the, change their life in, in, uh, in, their, in, their, in their religion. And when the, when the world system tries to do this, we have to remember that the, the cross does not put handles on you and I. The cross sets us free. We think, okay, now I'm free to serve God, or I'm free to do this, or I'm free to do that, or I'm free not to do this. This is all gospel and theology with handles. Does that make sense? Yeah. God set us free, and then Jesus says to his disciples what? And we're going to talk about this in a couple of weeks, but what does he say to his disciples? Go and preach. He says, I'm not putting a hand, now I'm going to control you, I'm giving you GPS devices, I'm going to track you all over the world. No, he sets his disciples free to serve God. Augustine said this, and I don't want you to misunderstand it, but he said it this way. He said, love God and do what you will. And that sounds kind of controversial. What I mean by that is, is that 
When we understand that the cross sets us free, that the cross makes us a new creation, that the cross puts us in a place where we're no longer being controlled by God, and the cross puts us in a place and gives us a belief system that is not a system where we are putting handles on people or we're putting where we're or we are putting handles on ourselves. When we realize that, what is the natural response? The flesh, the fleshly mind's gonna say, Well, that person's just gonna go straight into the world and live crazy. No, it won't. Because if we understand the gospel correctly, if we understand the work of the cross, that amazing cross that we sang about this morning, it's going to change our life. It's going to grab a hold of us. And we're going to wake up in the morning and think, you know what, my life is not my own. I am not my own. And we're going to hear a missionary story. You know, I read missionary stories. And I was thinking about, I read a missionary story about um, an Asian church planner in Japan. Just, Just an incredible story. We read these stories about people enraptured and captured by the cross of Christ that have become um, that have become sold out for God. They're going to say, I saw grace, I saw the gospel, and it changed my life, and now I love God like I never loved God before. I love God. When the Bible says to you and I, love God with all of your heart, remember first that God first loved us, and don't put that trip on you. When you see, when the Bible says love God, meditate on his first love. The theology of the cross does not put handles on people. Here's the thing about technology. If you're in the technological field, and I have been, what can happen, and technology can be not only just computers, software development, it could also be like, it could be industrial, it can be, it could be anything that's mechanicized. Mechanicized? Mechanicized? Mechanic. <laughs> Back to school with me. <laughs> If we are we if we are like really buried in that world, that our relationship with people is going to become very mechanical, and we're going to put handles on people. We're going to get frustrated with them. There's, we have to guard ourselves with that, and and not allow ourselves to have like a handle type kind of mind. When we're healed from the spirit of fear, and God has not given us a spirit of fear. Whenever you struggle with fear, just remember it's not of God. This is not God's will. God is not speaking to me in fear. God is not speaking to me in isolation. God doesn't speak to you in shame. If you feel shame in your life, you, we, you, and I, you and I have to identify it, that this is not the way the cross thinks. When we are healed from a spirit of fear because of what we understand the cross being, we no longer fear as much in relationships with no handles. I think sometimes people in relationships want to have handles. They want to be, you know what, I want to be handles. I want to be... I want to be jerked around. I want to be manipulated because I don't have any self-worth. I don't have any sense of what I believe or what, I, what I'm really truly, truly worth. When we get a glimpse of the blood of Jesus Christ and who Jesus was and what he did for you and I, our self-image skyrockets through the, through the roof. I'm not, I'm not selling myself to the world. I'm not selling myself to people. I'm not surrendering because I'm living in fear. And when we get healed from a spirit of fear in relationships that have no handles, I'm no longer afraid. Because when we're in, when we're in relationships with people that kind of gets squirrely and we can't control the relationship, then what can happen is, is that we begin to become fearful. We begin to be like, I, I don't know. If, and if we're certain kinds of introverts, we're like, I don't want to be around this kind of relationship. This is something I can't predict. But guess what? When you and I... Uh, um, isolate ourselves in a world of relationships that we can control 
that we can predict and that we can that we can manhandle with 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 handles guess what happens we become very lonely we become very isolated we become very unhappy why because you and I were created to live for faith to live by faith think of i mean i don't know about you but i like to sometimes look at these videos that are these guys on these mountain bikes doing these crazy things i like seeing adrenaline um you know adrenaline rush uh you know uh, videos where people are just doing these crazy things why because it brings a rush you and i were made to live crazy and not to be crazy the way you think it might be but to live in a way where we are not where we're living without handles is this making sense okay we are made to be not controlled by people and when we are controlled by people when we're controlled by by circumstance, by controlled by a theology that is not a gospel theology, what happens? We lose our sense of adventure. We were created to live in a world that we can't predict, but we can predict one thing. We can predict God. We know who God is. We know who God, what God says. And when we know, when we live with that anchor in our soul, this whole world might be in one day, may all change. My wife and I lived in Western Ukraine and the story there is, is that right in World War II, when the Russians were pushing the Nazis out of Ukraine, um, the Russians came into Western Ukraine and they said to all the Ukrainians, they said there, all the Poles and the Ukrainians that were living there, you have 48 hours to leave or you're going to become a Soviet citizen and you will not be able to leave. I have a friend, uh, he's a pastor in England, and he said that his grandmother was on the last train leaving Ukraine. And as the train was leaving uh, crossing the border crossing, they could see the soldiers there putting up the blockades that no one was else no one else was allowed to go. Life can change you know life can change in america it can we live in a we live in an amazing country things could change things could change in your life, but one thing that does not change and that is the cross and when we live in the, the midst of mis- messy relationships um, and vulnerability, we can have this confidence that we have a cross that does not handle people. Here's another example. When Adam and Eve sinned, when they failed in the garden, what happens? What does God do? Does he march in and does he manhandle everybody? Does he walk in and say, okay, Adam and Eve, you blew it. Sit down. Let me give you an instruction. Here's here's what you did wrong. This is what happened. And I'm going to just listen to me because I'm large and in charge. God did not come in that way until he came in looking for fellowship. Because God does not put handles on you and I. God does not put handles on his sheep. God does not control. Why? Because love does not do that. Love is not controlling. I want to close with this, and this is the fifth and the last point. When we have a mind that is trained under the cross, when we understand that the cross is not something that I can pick up, oh, okay, I'm going to take up my cross today. Okay, I'm picking up my cross. Now I'm putting all the armor on. We think of an intentional Christianity that is something that we are responsible to initiate and to do. This is not how it is. We are like Simon from, from Cyrene. We're showing up. We have no idea what's going to happen. And we are suddenly plucked into a situation that we are not in control of. And there's a cross on us. And before we know it, that Jesus is, in, is, is before us. And our life is totally changed. This is the Christian life. And I want to just tell you that as new creation, as new creatures in Christ, this way of the cross or this, way, this cross type of thinking 
means that we don't have handles as well. We cannot be manipulated. We cannot be jerked around. And there's three, there's three ways that I think the enemy of our soul tries to put handles on you and I. Number one, guilt. Guilty people can be manipulated, right? Easily. You ever notice that? It's always about their past. But our past is crucified. Our past is crucified. So the devil has nothing to try to manipulate us by. Think of people who are in a continual state of trying to manipulate and manage their sin. They're in a place where this is my sin, my problem, and I got to get rid of it, I got to deal with it. Sometimes I hide it, sometimes it's way out in front of me, sometimes it's something I ignore. Guilt is something that gets resolved when I understand that all of my sin, all of my addictions, everything has been crucified at the cross and is no longer I but Christ that lives in me and there's therefore now condemnation. There's, no now, there's therefore now no condemnation. Let's live like this. Let's live free from the, 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 the handles of guilt. Do you feel guilty about a, a past relationship? Maybe you were not a great parent. Maybe you failed in a business. I don't know. Maybe there's something that when you think about it, you're like, ooh, you cringe in your soul. Let's bring that to the cross today. Bring that to the cross. Let, this, let it be dealt with today at the cross. Let it be known that God has paid for that on the cross and it is no longer something that is in the sphere of God's awareness. Number two, pride. Pride can be very, pride can, a person that lives in pride can be, can be manipulated by self-censoredness or a poor self-image because it's all about my reputation. You know, what is my reputation? I'm crucified with Christ. It's no longer I, but Christ that lives in me. Um, Bill Gillen and I were talking Thursday night here, and we were just talking about how there are great movements of God, and he's going to hear that I'm talking about him, so maybe he'll come next week. <laughs> but there are great movements of God, and when it, it always stops when it becomes about the man, when it becomes about the person, and not about Jesus Christ. If we make Jesus Christ great, if we lift him up, it's no longer about my reputation. Maybe I don't have a reputation. I don't, I, I don't. The, the, the power years of a man are from 40 to 60 years old. And this is when we're thinking as males, what am I going to leave behind for my, for my kids, for my family? And we're thinking about that. Guess what? Let's just leave them Christ. Let's just pray that they follow Christ and that they walk with God. And lastly, there's, this, there's, there's a handle of lust. It's when there's something that I want that I cannot wait for. God gives us godly desires. And these are desires that God has put inside of you. These are not demonic desires. It's not a demonic desire, a satanic desire, that you want to marry someone and have a beautiful marriage. That's not demonic. That's something that God has put in your life. And he's got a plan for that. There's a timing for that. But lust is when I want something that is godly, but I can't wait for it. It's, it's, something, that, it's something that I cannot wait. I, I have to do it now, and I have to do it my way. Many times the good comes before the best. It's Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Wait for the best. Sometimes the devil will try to, will try to, um, will try to um, psych us out. It's, I don't know if you know what that means, old northeastern word. Psych us out by, by some kind of cool and shiny object that's not really God's perfect will. Hey, it actually might be God, too. God might be putting something in your path and say, you know, I just want to ask you, how bad do you really want my best for your life? And then he just kind of puts something there. He's like, whoa, that's amazing. But then we realize later, hey, you know what? There's something missing there. It is, it is, it is 
God's not in it. It's an empty box. And I, wanna, I just want to close with this, is that, that um, we need to trust God for what we need now. Just trust the Lord for a relationship, for a job, for the resources that you and I need. Trust God for the, the things that, are, that seem to be unresolved in your life right now. The way of the cross is a way of no handles. I just want to, so what do we say this morning? We said, number one, the cross is the most powerful device in history. Colossians 2.12, sorry, 2.14. It's the most powerful device in history. Number two, the cross has no handles. It's not something that you can just, hey, you know what? Let me give, give this to you. I'm going to gift you my power and all of my, it's something that has no handles and something that you and I have to experience for ourselves. Number three, the way of the cross is a theology that has no handles. It's not something that we can just whip around, open up, and read a formula about. That's why we are worshipers. That's why we are an on our face in awe. By the way, if you are struggling with temptation, don't try to figure it all out. Just, just be in awe of the nature and the power of who God is. Number four, the cross does not handle people, and neither should we. And number five, the crucified mind is when we understand that there, we have no handles and that there's nothing that can manipulate our lives so that we are free to serve God. We are free to be, we are released by God. And, we, and, and as we discover that and as we walk in that, we're going to discover that we're in the perfect will of God. I think that um, the Lord has a great spring and summer for us. I'm excited about some things that, that um, are coming up on our, on our radar um, the Lord is here, and I just love coming here Sunday mornings and being with you guys. Um, it's just exciting. So let's, um, let's just bow our heads and have a prayer before we close.